It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Nandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And I am this. I'm kind of excited to talk again. One because it's been forever since we've spoken. Um, I took vacation and caused a, a wrench to be thrown in all of our plans, and now I took me three weeks to see your face again. So this is fun. I'm excited to see you. Um, but I also like this week because it just seems like a mosh pit of random things that we usually don't talk about. Obviously, Julio's going to get worked in here because that's just a standard, but I like the fact that there's some different things going on in baseball this week. I'm really excited to talk about my favorite moment from this week. As soon as I saw this, I had it in my brain, like, I need to talk to Sarah. I'm ready for the podcast. Um, so we can just get started. I think we should probably get started with the biggest statsy thing that I saw from the week, uh, because that would be right up your alley and seeing a player. I mean, if you're going on Trey Turner's, uh, baseball reference page and you just check his game logs from the last few days, the numbers are ridiculous. And not even just the home run column. It's just looking through the stats that you've seen on his games in September. He has a hit in at least, well, I mean, not even just September. You go back before that. But he has hits galore. It's ridiculous. I think only one out of his last 20 games was hitless. Um, it's just, you look at that and you're like, my gosh, this guy's hot. And then you just peer over to the home run column. And then you see just as many home runs, it seems like. Um, so you have all the stats on it, but my gosh, what is Trey Turner doing right now and how is it working? I mean, I love the Trey Turner story in 2023 because this is a story of the power of positive energy. So we go back to August 4th. He was not playing well. He was hitting 235, slugging 368 on base at 290. And Phillies fans, who we know have a reputation of being very, very passionate fans, got together and they said they were coming off a road trip August 4th, first game of a homestand. We are going to give Trey Turner a standing ovation every time he comes to the play, not sarcastically, not booing him despite hitting 235 in the first year of this big contract, but because we want to encourage him 
There were fans, I believe, on Reddit who figured out, like, his favorite charity organization were donating there and encouraging others to do the same. So basically, the city of Philadelphia put Trey Turner on its collective back. And in return, since that day, August 4th, he is hitting 381, slugging 806. He has 15 home runs and 39 RBIs in that span. He had 34 RBIs in the 107 games before that. And now he has 39 in 33 games since. This is the trade turner we saw during the World Baseball Classic for Team USA, but over a much bigger extended period now. You know, when it first happened, he was hitting well the first week or so. After the ovations, it's like, okay, cool, we'll see. But now, as I said, it's been 33 games. So he has been doing this consistently more than a month. And when I look at his numbers, the number one sort of like process thing that stands out to me, he is hitting the ball hard a lot more frequently. So in that first 107 games, his hard hit rate was about 41%. Now in this next stretch, it's 50%. And we've talked about you hit the ball hard in this day and age, you have about a 500 batting average on those batted balls. So he is making much more optimal contact. And the coolest thing about it, and the most impressive thing about it, is doing it at the time that you're doing it. And to turn on in September, end of August, beginning of September, through the rest of September, is the most critical time. If you're going to slump, it's okay to do that more at the beginning of the season than towards the end. Um, and the fact that he's turning it on when he's turning it on for a team that's a, a contender, for a team that is fighting, uh, that's, the, that's the biggest part of all of this. And yes, it's so cool, the story behind all of it and how the city is literally lifting him up and pushing him into this. Uh, it's hilarious too. I, I think it's fun. You always talk about like, I don't know, I felt like in high school when you're watching basketball games and stuff and like, but my high school had a team that went to States a couple of years, like a, a one year and it was just like, we all went there and you felt like you were the sixth man because you were getting in the other team's head and you were doing this, you're screaming and it's just like, is that really a thing? And it's just like, this is actually like a a, a teammate this is like the fans are fully involved that's it's really really cool because yes you can have that happen where football games crowds can cause um delay of game you can have things like that it's always enjoyable i think more for fans to feel like they're personally connected so for the stats whether it's coincidence or not whatever it was for his like psyche whatever it might have been it's cool that it happened right after that. But the biggest key is turning it on in September for a team that needs to have things go well. And goodness gracious, these numbers are disgusting. So for this to be happening now is huge. And to that point, if you look at the most war from that first date of the first ovation on August 4th, 
the leaders in war among position players in that span. Julio Rodriguez at 3.2, and we know he's basically almost single-handedly pulled the Mariners back into the playoff race in the month of August. Mookie Metz at 2.9, who has gotten himself into an MVP conversation uh, with Ronald Acuna Jr. for an MVP that we had all thought would be unanimous a few months ago. And then Trey Turner at 2.8. So all of those guys, as you said, have not just turned it on at any point, but have done so down the stretch for a team that's fighting for a playoff spot, or in the case of the Dodgers, just fighting to show that they will be good enough in October and maintaining all of that momentum. Sure. And we can stick with sort of like these stats themes. Maybe it's not a team that needs to fight as much because, my gosh, they're light years ahead of everybody else in any possible standings that you could look at. But the Braves, I'm telling you, every morning I wake up, I see another ridiculous Braves feat, Braves stat, team stat, individual stat, whatever it might be. This team is unlike, I swear, anything I've ever really watched before, ever. And it always seems like these teams that are just by far and away the best during the regular season, for some reason, get knocked out early in the postseason. And every part of me is hoping that that's not the case, because I think if this team keeps going, we can see things that we haven't seen before. We can see dominance like we haven't seen before. I think this team is also still young and fun and exciting. And I think that this could be great to have this on a national stage. But history has reminded me, like, mm, don't. <laughs> buy in too too much because for some reason every time you're 100% confident in a team the uh, baseball is strange when you get into October nothing is guaranteed so but for now gosh I, I know you have a whole list of things here of this week and brave stats so we can just dive into those I mean I feel like I've written that down for us a couple of times mm-hmm. this year now and you know I mean the first thing is the home run pace so through the second game of their doubleheader on Monday. We're here recording on Tuesday afternoon. They have 278 home runs, which is two more than the 2019 Twins had through 144 games, the same number of games. So they are on pace to set the all-time single-season home run record, which is held by the Twins in 2019 with 307 and yesterday they had a doubleheader against the Phillies and in that second game even though they lost Matt Olson hit his 49th and 50th home runs of the season after all the talk we had early in the year about Aaron Judge before he got hurt about Shohei Otani before he was dealing with his more recent injuries it's Matt Olson, first guy in the 50 home runs. I mean, I believe he can hit 60. He could easily hit another 10 home runs here in the next few weeks. I don't know if he will, but he certainly could. And the Braves saw a single season home run record is 51, held by Andrew Jones. So that just feels like a matter of days before that falls. 
I really was like full on buying into Otani being the guy. And yes, obviously he's dealing with some stuff now. Um, has It's really frustrating because I know every single time we talk on this podcast, we're like, as long as he stays healthy, this is great. We just need him to stay healthy. This is great. Um, and then of course we go away from the podcast for a little bit and then, well, he doesn't, he doesn't stay healthy, but maybe that's uh, why it happened. Was it I us? Know. Oh my it's gosh. Us. I'm so sorry, Otani. We did not we, mean to. We broke Otani without trying, <sighs> but it seems like it happened that way. And so, yes, now we can sit here and be beating ourselves up for the rest of the day because it was clearly our fault, but, um, Maddles, I mean, what a ridiculous, fun story of, I don't know how you have a sleeper candidate for someone who has 50 homers, because like, you either can do it or you can't. And so you're, it seems weird that all of a sudden it's like, wow, that sort of crept up on me. And like, but it's this sort of, and especially on the team that he's on, where everyone's doing things like this every single day, it feels like, but it's still sort of crept up on me where I'm seeing this, I'm like, hold up. He got, he's at what? He's at how many? Um, because the attention had just been on Otani and then just rightfully so, but the way that he was really cooking offensively and he was made everyone start thinking about the home run tracker and the pace. I mean, we had, we had stories on MLB.com saying like, let's keep track of his pace here and let's do this and let's do that sort of the same way we did for Aaron judge. And then all of a sudden, here comes Matt Olson. And uh, I, geez, I know you said that it can easily be done. We don't know if it can, if it will be done. Um, but you know me. You know I'm a person who roots for history all the time. And I want to see as many home runs in the next, what is it, two and a half weeks that we have left uh, before the postseason, which is hard to believe. Um but yeah, I'm I'm rooting for as many long balls as possible. And I want to give credit to the entire Braves team. So obviously, we kind of alluded to it, but we didn't say it straight up. They were the first team to clinch a playoff berth. They did so on Sunday in their 142nd game of the season, winning to clinch that berth. So. This set is going to sound a little funky, but let me go with it and then I'll explain. So they clinched having played 142 decisions. That's tied with the 1975 Reds for the sixth fewest by a team. That on the day they clinched a playoff spot in an 162 game season. The reason we go with decisions is because back in the day, there were ties. And the thing with the way clinchings happen is that it's not always when you win. Sometimes you clinch because another team loses. So the way the Elias looks at this, it says, at the end of the day, when you clinch, how many games or how many decisions had you played. So the fact that in 162 game season, only five teams had gotten there quicker is really, really impressive. Uh, it, okay, so if, you're, if you work in baseball, if you work for Major League Baseball, you get these emails every single day during this time period 
of the tentative outlook for the postseason. And you're getting these these people who are monitoring this all the time and making sure everyone's aware of like the scenarios that need to happen for teams to clinch. And the fact that I was getting them as early as I got them this year to see when the Braves could possibly clinch. I rem- I was like on the phone. I was coming back from my trip and these started to pop up. And I think the first time it popped up was like September 6th was like the earliest it could have possibly happened or something. And I was like on the phone with my parents and I was like, um, the Braves could clinch. <laughs> like, I don't remember what day of the week that was. I'm trying to, th- today's the 12th. That would be the fifth on a Tuesday, so the sixth would be Wednesday. Okay, so I was like, the Braves can clinch on Wednesday, so how is that even possible? Because, I mean, I get it. We're about to get into clinching season, and teams are about to start going one after the next, but September 6th, they already get that number of like, okay, if they win and they lose, then here we go. We're already starting to celebrate. That's unbelievable. And now to hear the stats behind it, it makes a lot of sense that this is pretty rare. This doesn't happen very often. And when I sat there and I thought this feels wrong, there's a reason it felt wrong because it really does not happen. And so I think it just says so much as if we needed more proof of how ridiculously good this team is. Now to your point earlier about how sometimes these teams lose. So as I said, Five teams got there in fewer decisions. One of those was the Dodgers last year who got there in 140, and we know they lost to the Padres in that series, so you never know, but certainly a very impressive feat to be that dominant and worth celebrating. I know. I want the playoffs to be fun. I want it all to be fun. I want this team to be fun. Oh, of course they will be, but sitting here, I'm like, it's going to happen again, isn't it? It's going to happen again. Anyway, I have no crystal ball. Who am I to know? Uh, apparently, we have control over everything, though, because poor Otani. So anyway, we'll take a quick break right now. We come back. We have more to talk about. We can get into Julio, of course, but then we can sprinkle in some Nolan Jones. I don't even think we've even talked about him on this podcast. So I'm excited to mix it up. Stay with us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy. That's Sarah. And Sarah, of course, we got to get to Julio 
Um, it was paining me to see how great Julio continued to be while we weren't recording because I'm like, Sarah is not able to put this out there. I mean, obviously Twitter, but we can't discuss it more. So we can do this, obviously Mookie Betts too, but we can at least start with Julio um, and get into what these guys have been able to do since I've been put a, put us unintentionally on a little hiatus here. So I believe uh, last week Julio became the first player in big league history to have uh, 25, 25 seasons, so 25 homers, 25 stolen bases in each of his first two career seasons. Now, of course, he was the first guy to even have a chance to do that because last year he became the first player to do that in his first season. Not just rookie year, but first season, the season where he debuted. But again, since we haven't chatted in a while, last night on Monday night he took 25-25 and turned into 30-30, hitting his 30th home run of the season. So he became just the fourth player to have a 30-30 season in his age 22 season or younger. He joins Ronald Acuna Jr. in 2019, Mike Trout in 2012, and Alex Rodriguez in 1998. And I mean, sometimes there's a sad list where it's like, Oh, you know, two Hall of Famers and another random name. Or three Hall of Famers and two other names. That is about as solid as a list can be. Three guys who, based on stats alone, have Hall of Fame resumes or in Acuna's case are well on their way toward it. And then Julio joining. So that is like as foolproof as the list can be, and it was great to see that. I was actually on my way back from working in the Mets game uh, at City Field on Monday night, the Mets and Diamondbacks, and as I'm about to get out of the car, I see the Julio Homer, and I'm like, oh boy, I gotta research, I gotta get this done now. I know he was the Rookie of the Year just last year. But it seems like his presence in Major League Baseball has been around for so long because of just the impact that he makes that every time I see these types of stats, it's like it's shocking to relearn how young he is because it just seems like he's been around for so much longer than what he was. It's hard to believe it was just last year that he was a rookie. It's hard to believe that he's still in his age 22 or younger season. I know he'll be 23 at the end of the year, but like, the the thing I know I keep saying it but like to think of how good the young players are in this game right now I think it's really exciting and I know that he wasn't what he wanted to be at times this year but to see him like I said sort of with Turner in like this when his team needed him the most and he's like single-handedly keeping the Mariners in not just the wild card race, but also trying to stay in this division race out of nowhere. Like, it's really impressive to see someone who's 22 years old be like this, have a presence like this, uh, perform like this, and then also have give off this energy as if he's been a seasoned veteran for like 10 years. I mean, in my mind, 
Well, Nick Union Jr. is still super young, and he is, but he's been the major since 2018, so was Juan Soto. I mean, even Mookie Betts still seems young to me, and here he is. He has his kiddos. He's a veteran. He's been MVP. He's another MVP conversation, and he had a leadoff from round last night against the Padres in a wild game, I will say. You know, we're talking about Mookie here. Padres ended up winning that game. And Julio, his home run, very, very exciting. Tied the game in extras, but the Mariners didn't end up losing. I will acknowledge that. But back to Mookie. So he has 12 leadoff home runs this year. That is tied for the second most in the season. All time, only Alfonso Soriano had more with 13 in 2003. Well, what's amazing to me is that he isn't just hitting a leadoff home run every now and then. He has 39 home runs total. That is tied for the most out of the leadoff spot in the season with George Springer in 2019 and Soriano in 2006. So with one more home run, Mookie Betts will be the first ever 40 home run leadoff hitter. I mean, I think he and Nukuna, in different ways, but certainly with the power, are really redefining what we expect out of a leadoff hitter these days. Or maybe not what we expect, but what what the ceiling could be for a leadoff hitter. I like this because Mookie would have been, I mean, and he was, the first to say he didn't belong in the home run derby because he was like, I'm not a power hitter. I can't hang with these guys. I'm just sort of here because uh, my wife pushed me to be here and like, like this should be fun and I'm just going to enjoy it. But like this, these stats are fun because it's like, you do have power. Uh, I know it might not be Aaron Judge power, but like he is another one that it's like you don't one expect it because of his size and because he is a leadoff hitter, but he is changing that type of role of okay, yeah, you want your best hitters to come up as often as possible. And if that means someone with a little bit of power is your leadoff hitter, why would you not want that? Because they can get on base and they can provide another threat. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's fun to have these types of stats that back up Mookie Betts, the power hitter, because he was the first to tell the whole world he did not deserve that title all through the All-Star break. And you just wonder how many little kids out there who were even high schoolers, even in college, guys who have power maybe are faster than your average power hitter so kind of have the borderline sort of um, lead-off uh, build or background, if you want to say. We see a guy like Mookie Betts hitting 40 home runs. See the fact that Ronald Acuna could end up with 40 himself and say, hey, maybe I'm not going to hit the second or third. Maybe I will be lead-off. Maybe that does work for my skill set. So... I think it's really exciting to see, and it's just really, really cool to watch Mookie be Mookie on a nightly basis. Yeah, and the, the, the defensive versatility that he has, the pure athleticism that he has, 
I mean, I would love to watch him just sit down and go bowling one day. Like, I think everything that he brings to the table is so different, unique, exciting, and that's all the stuff that you want in anybody who's uh, in a face of any sport. Um, But anyone who's listening to this because uh, hoping for any type of Guardians Nuggets because I'm on here, you might just want to pause and just bring some mental clarity here. Prepare yourself. I know we're going to get into some Nolan Jones talk. And all season long, I've had people tweeting at me saying, why did they get rid of this guy? All of these things. I get it. Sometimes these things don't work out. Sometimes players have some success. I mean, Josh Bell, I felt like you were messaging me every seven minutes after he left Cleveland for the first handful of days saying that he was hitting a home run at an unprecedented pace. It was ridiculous. Um, It just sort of seems to be how it works out, at least right after a player leaves, just enough to get fans really upset. It's just how it goes. Um, But Nolan Jones, you've messaged me a couple of times. It's always so funny because you'll you'll just pop into the Slack channel, (laughs) let me know that someone who uh, Cleveland fans are or at least hooked on for a little bit, uh, is doing well elsewhere. And mostly right now it's been because of his arm. Um, he's not an outfielder. I mean, he never had been. He was a third base. Well, he was an infielder. The Guardians were hoping that he would be a third baseman. Then they signed Jose to a long extension, and that was never going to be a possibility for him. So then it was like, oh, my gosh, where do we, what do we do with this kid? He was the number one prospect for them at one point. So they're like, let's throw him into the outfield, see how he can handle it. Um, he's pretty athletic. His family's very athletic. Um, probably one of the lone Penn State connections that I will ever have in this sport because there's not many baseball players coming out of Penn State. But all of his family went to Penn State, so I was very excited about that. We talk Penn State all the time. Um, his brother was a hockey goalie at Penn State. His sister played softball at Penn State. So I was thrilled, but lost that connection. Um, but it's a very athletic family. It seemed like he could handle it. He's very raw. He's very raw in the outfield. He's still learning. But clearly, he has the arm because you've now slacked me a couple times about outfield assists that he's had. So in the span of four days over the weekend into the beginning of the week, he had two outfield assists at least 100 miles an hour. On the 8th, he threw one 100.7 miles an hour. And then yesterday, on Monday, 102.7. That is the fastest tracked outfield assist in the majors this year and the fifth fastest in the regular season under Sackhouse. That is on another level. And what I love about the Rockies right now is that they have him, Nolan Jones, and they have Brenton Doyle, and both of them have these broken arms. So Brenton Doyle himself has uh, outfield assists also basically since the end of August, and 100.9 miles an hour, 100.4. He also had a throw 105.7 miles an hour the other day, not for an assist, but to hold the runner in a key situation in the ninth inning. That was the fastest track throw by an outfielder under Sackhouse. But, you know, 
and wanted to talk about Nolan Jones in part because of that arm and because anyone who watched Sunday Night Baseball got a bit more insight into him. And I just love seeing his attitude. He talks about not knowing the outfield that well, learning it, all of that. And he just seemed like a really fun player. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I learned about him and his time with Cleveland, even though it wasn't really extensive, um, I mean, he was very level-headed. He was one of the nicest people, let alone baseball players, that I had ever met or interacted with. He was always someone who went out of his way to come across the room to say hello to you, like, each day. Um, Those types of people are just solid humans to be around, regardless of what your field is. Um... You could tell that it just he was very close with his family. His brother's a hockey player, and like he, it's it was just really, really. Uh, it's not surprising to see when he's picked for a mic'd up or something like that that his personality would show through and be very likable, approachable, um, because that truly seemed to be like the type of person that he is. Really enjoyed getting to know him in that time, that short time period. Um, but I'm curious, like, how did it go? One, I think it was cool because you always are like expecting the big namers to be the ones who are mic'd up or at least a name and nothing against Nolan Jones, but he's not the biggest name out there. And there's a lot of people who would be fans of baseball who had never heard of someone like Nolan Jones because one, he hasn't been in the big leagues very much. Um, so how, I, I didn't get to see it. How was it when he was mic'd up, uh, to that whole experience? It was really, really good. And you know, I agree. I know fans often look for, oh, was it Mookie? Oh, was it Freddie? It wasn't the Dodger game, but I'm just saying late the biggest name. And this was Giants-Rockies. We had the Giants on Sunday Baseball recently, and there was plenty of Giants talk because they become went out to the bullpen and interviewed some guys in both bullpens. So the uh, player was Nolan Jones. I thought he was outstanding. You know, he had a really good kind of personality conversation with the booth. And uh, Eduardo Perez was giving him some tips about how to have his sunglasses, to look into the shadows, to look at everything. Because he is a newer outfielder. And there was a great moment where there was a throw that he made in the inning. And his teammates know he's mic'd up. And the left fielder uh, says to him, hey, ask them how hard that throw was. <laughs> so like, that was really, really fun. And just overall, I think, you know, these players know what they're getting into when they're mic'd up. And they agree to it because they do want to show that side of themselves. But I think he really, truly understood the assignment, as people say. And I thought he did a great job. And I think that anyone who didn't follow the Rockies or the Guardians didn't know who he was, would probably be watching that game. And if I'm a normal fan, which I'm not, 
I'm probably hearing him and going to Instagram, going to Twitter, seeing if he's on social media. Like, it was the type of conversation where you wanted more from him. You wanted to hear him. He was the type of guy who felt like if he shares his day-to-day, it will be interesting and engaging. It's important, I think, to not just always focus on the stars because the stars can get hardened to some of this stuff. Um, I think baseball has been very lucky to not have too much of that and for the big superstars to be very open and sharing their lives and doing these mic'd ups. But I think it's also important for some of these up-and-comers who are just so excited to share their lives, that are so excited to show um, who they are and make a name for themselves. And there's like a part of them that are like, I want the attention right now. Maybe it won't be that way. You start to see like young guys after a couple years, they're like, okay, I'm shying away from the spotlight a little bit more because I've gotten too much. And now I'm like, okay, I sort of miss the quiet. But um, I think in a case of like a Nolan Jones, when you're able to find a personality that is likable like that, which there's plenty across baseball, um, and you can get a guy who's just excited and antsy to have that type of opportunity, that can really set up for a fun interview, an engaging interview. And like you said, people starting to go search like, oh, I wonder, like, I want to see this guy a little bit more. I might. And that next time they see a random Rockies game, they're like, oh, I remember Nolan Jones. Like he was a good guy. I think that there's so much of that when it's just, quote unquote, a random guy that maybe people don't know as much as when Mookie does it or when you have big guys like Shane Bieber sitting on a bench, just sort of sitting there during a non-start day, or um, anyone, it seems like anyone from the Yankees, or whatever it might be, I think Nolan Jones was like the perfect person to show that you don't need to be a name, a big name, to make baseball really, really cool in the way that they're able to give a peek behind the curtain in a regular season game. A hundred percent. I mean... I think if you were just a baseball fan, fan of sports in general, and a fan of people, it would have been impossible not to be engaged with everything he was saying and interested in the way he was presenting the game, his career, what he's done, and who he is. All right, I think we'll take a quick break so that we can come back and I can talk about my favorite moment from baseball because this might be my favorite moment of the year like I love this moment so much so I'm excited to talk about it so stay with us we'll have our favorite segment when we come back Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and of course, for our favorite segment, we have our favorite producer, Alana Schreiber, and she'll be kicking us off here with yet another one of her lovely, unique, I'm telling you, it's always off the wall type of moments, and I love it because I actually learn something every single time you talk on this podcast, so please enlighten us with something new. That is so kind of you. Uh, So Mandy, while you were enjoying Italy, I got to go to 
Little Rock, Arkansas, and Huntsville, Alabama for Frisbee tournaments. So not quite the Amalfi Coast, but maybe the next best thing. Um, <laughs> so while we're driving to Huntsville last weekend, I'm telling everyone in my car as we're, you know, passing through Birmingham, like, guys, there's amazing baseball history here. This is where Rickwood Field is. It's the oldest ballpark in America. It was a Negro League ballpark, but they're having a game this June. And there's also this museum called the Negro Southern League Baseball Museum. And then my friends in the car say, well, maybe let's stop here on the way back. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing it. I'm finally convincing my Frisbee friends to be into baseball. So the problem is that the museum isn't open on Sundays. But I knew a guy who knew a guy who was the guy who was the founder of the museum. So I got the guy to give me the guy to give me the guy's number. And I called him up and I was like, I know you're not normally open Sunday, but I really want to come. And he said, lucky for you, we are open this specific Sunday because we are having our unveiling of our new exhibit on the history of the three women in the Negro Leagues, being Connie Morgan, Mamie Peanut Johnson, and Tony Stone, who I love. So I was so excited. I got to go on Sunday to this museum in Birmingham. And basically everyone in Birmingham who came out was someone who has like been to Rickwood and remembers the glory days of baseball in the city. I even got to meet a former Negro League player who was there named Chico Rutledge, which was the coolest thing ever. That's a new one for me. The exhibit was amazing. Everyone was so generous and so excited that four random 20-somethings from New Orleans were there because everyone else was kind of in their 90s. But <laughs> regardless, it was amazing. I, I loved it. I learned so much. And then I got to drive by Rickwood and see the oldest stadium in America, which, you know, you just you're there and you see all the ghosts. There's too many to name, but there's a ton. So, yeah, that was my uh, my crazy moment in baseball of the week. That is amazing. You told us about that museum a couple of weeks ago. So I'm so glad you got to go back. You got to go. Thank goodness you know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. That is <laughs> incredible. But yeah, that is so, so cool that you got to go. And the way that you got to go is like the most on-brand thing mm -hmm. of all time. As you're sitting there like, I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew the guy. And I'm like, of course you did. <laughs> like, of course that's exactly how it happened. Uh, love that. And I'm always glad that you can bring in these more like than surface level things that we bring to the table. So glad you had that. <laughs> it was awesome. Sarah, go ahead. I know what yours is, I think, so I'm not going to take it. So instead, I'm going to go with when Nolan Jones was mic'd up on Sunday Baseball. There's always a part where fans are encouraged to send in questions on Twitter with the hashtag. And so there's a question. It was the first one. They flash up on the screen. And Boo Show me read it, and he says this is from at Andrew Jones 1025. And you already see Nolan Jones's face reacting because that is one of his brothers. And he wrote a question for Nolan Jones Who's your favorite sibling? He has two brothers, uh, the one who plays hockey, you mentioned Payton, this brother Andrew, and the sister. And of course, he said they're all his favorite, but I love that. And also, I've been working on Sunday Baseball for a while, the whole time. 
that we've been doing this mic'd up thing. That is the first time I remember a family member using the send in a question thing in order to troll a brother or a son or a cousin or what have you. So a monumental moment, but also just hilarious. He was standing there in center field laughing, going, oh, that's my brother. I love my siblings. Like, it was so sweet, but it was so funny. I just love that. I was tempted to like ask about it during the Nolan Jones segment and I didn't because I was like, there's a chance this is coming up again, so I'm going to hold off on it. But when I saw your tweet, I laughed. I thought it was great. Knowing that family's dynamic, it didn't surprise me. They're all very close, but they're all so competitive. They're all in sports. And so I'm like, yeah, they're probably all competing to see who he's going to say in this response. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but I did think that was funny. And I do like the, the family getting involved. Uh, like you said, I did still, you don't really see that very often. Um, so I like that. But we'll see if you're right on mine. And I'm sure you are. Um, I couldn't help but love a moment this past week when a player was like the rest of us, like a normal child. I don't, it just anyone who meets your hero type of moment. And Willie Adamas was there at Yankee Stadium on their old timers day, which looked a little different this year, but they were all recognized. So many members of that 98 team were there. Um, this was the first year that Derek Jeter had come back and was there to be recognized with all the other old timers. Although I think he joked that he hated the name old timers <laughs> day and thinks that there should be another name for that. Um, but during all of the pregame ceremony festivities, all that stuff, there was this video and I am so eternally grateful for whoever the cameraman was that captured this moment because it was so pure of, Willie Adamas, who's not on the Yankees, he's not sitting in there and is participating in all of this, just sitting like a shy little school kid in the, his own dugout, like watching from afar, getting like encouraged to go run over and meet his hero for a moment. And so you just see this video of him going out onto the field, interacting with Derek Jeter for a few minutes. They just, not even minutes, like seconds, like they just have this quick little exchange and as soon as he's done, he turns back to the dugout, geeking out. Like, you see his face like, oh, my gosh, did you guys see what I just did? And he's running in and literally does not slow down. He's going down the steps, and he's just, like, so giddy and, like, bouncing up against people as he's coming in. And it's just so cool to see people who have gotten to that level, the same level that Derek Jeter, the same, like, fields that Jeter played on, but it was clearly his role model growing up, it seemed like. It was clearly his favorite player. And in that moment, even though he's 20, I think I'm looking at his birthday right now. He's the exact same age as my husband, same birthday. Um, but he's 28 years old, um, and he can still find that inner 8-year-old who would have geeked out when he was watching jeter growing up and if he would have gotten an autograph in the stands or if he would have done anything where he got a picture or interaction that was the same side of him that just came out as an almost 30 year old and it was fantastic to see because you get worried that the longer that guys are in this league 
they harden up, as I sort of talked about. He's someone who's already been in here for six years, and you don't want them to lose the side of this that it's just work. Like, you don't want them to lose the side that it's a kid's game, and it's a fun game, and you grew up loving this game, and all of these things, and you're just like, okay, is it becoming too much work now? Nope, that inner child comes out whenever you're reminded of anything, and it was just so fun to see. I love that clip. I'm so glad it was shown everywhere because it was so wholesome and I love a good wholesome moment. I knew that would be it. The moment I saw it, I knew because you also grew up idolizing Derek Jeter. So you didn't end up in Major League Shortstop. It's okay. You're still doing pretty well, I would say. Came up a little short. <laughs> yeah. It happens, but the moment I saw it, I was like, first of all, amazing moment. Second of all, amazing moment for Mandy. And I <laughs> know that this will be it. And that look on his face when he went back to the dugout, as you said, that's what it's all about. We have all been there, whether you end up major league shortstop, a reporter, or a fan watching these games in the stands. It was just so incredible to see that emotion. That's the face that you expect from like the Little League Classic when these guys are like, oh my gosh, did you just see what I just did and I talked to and like Bryce Harper's cheering for me, like that type of stuff. And he's a grown man playing in Major League Baseball and that's his reaction. It was as good as it gets and I was just so happy that that was captured because it was as pure and wholesome as you could have asked for. So... That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.